Hebrews chapter 6, 13 to 15 this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, 13 to 15. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he, God, could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee. And multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so, after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Father, today we have a marvelous opportunity as your children to see the way in which promise and perspiration works together in the plan of God for good, for blessing. We get to see that marvelous contingency of cooperation between your mighty power and our humble prayer. Help us then as we continue to work in this sixth chapter in Hebrews. We know that some of it has been very difficult to grasp. But we are so thankful for the understanding that we have in Christ Jesus. And pray that today our understanding would deepen and heighten and widen. That we'd find ourselves encouraged as your people to live on to your glory. If there be one or more without Christ in this hour... Draw them, we pray, to the Savior, for we do ask in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. I was reminded this week of my favorite illustration of good faith. Good faith is not necessarily big faith. But I was reminded this past weekend of good faith when telling a barrage of stories to my grandchildren. This has been Grandpa's Story Week, and I've been enjoying the opportunity to interact with some of my very favorite grandchildren. My very favorite illustration of good faith goes back to the practical experience that I gained as a boy when fishing on the Saginaw Bay. When the Saginaw Bay froze over, locals like my grandfather would drive their car out onto the middle of the ice open the door, dig the hole, put the ice pole in, and catch perch. Go home, fry them, have a great supper. Yes, we fished right out the the side of the door of the car. In the winter, of course, when once the ice was thick enough. About six, seven inches is what you want to have on ice before you decide to drive your car out on water. But just about every year, not every year, but just about every year, some guy would drive his car out onto the ice before it was solid and kaploosh. Now, you know that Greek word, don't you? Not a Greek word. Down the car would go to the bottom of the bay. That's how I first learned that a little faith in thick ice is good faith. 
but great faith in thin ice is stupid. Too many preachers preach about great faith, and I seldom have any. It's not about the greatness of your faith that counts. It's about the one in whom your faith is placed. We don't come preaching it ourselves, but Christ and him crucified. We preach about Jesus. The good faith of Abraham is brought to bear upon the subject of Christian authenticity in Hebrews chapter 6 by telling us about the solid rock upon which good faith rises. We learn that the thing that made Abraham's faith good faith was the one in whom it was placed. This is the second illustration in this chapter that began with an imperative, an imperative to Christians to carry on and to make forward progress in living after the fashion of Christ. The imperative, chapter 6, verse 1, is to go on to maturity, to go on to perfection uh, as, uh, as a general uh, a, a reflection of the will of God for each and every child of God. Immediately following that imperative was a warning of impossibility. It is impossible when once you are God's child to live in perpetuation of sin and disgrace without consequence. The first illustration to commend the imperative and to warn of the consequences had to do with gardening, verses 7 and 8. We learned that God does not like spiritual weeds any more than we like weeds in our garden. God desires and cultivates fruit in his people, and that fruit is identified in Scripture as the fruit Christ. Now, the second illustration to commend the imperative and to warn believers of the consequences of a, an act of faith is the case of Abraham. The second illustration, 13 to 15, follows the first value, uh, a value, I should say, of Hebrew instruction in 9 to 12, in which, as we saw last week, uh, the writer did not doubt the spiritual reality of his readers. Verse 9, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. The writer is saying to the Hebrew people to whom he wrote, I don't believe that you are people that are in dire need of this warning at this moment, but nonetheless, it's right that you should be warned. And I've warned you. And I've told you why it's so important that you be like a, a, a good gardener and continue to exercise effort in bearing fruit unto God. And so you have in this Section 9 to 12, uh, the blessed truth of salvation's accompaniments. We are saved by the grace of God through faith alone. But that faith is not alone, ever, in the life of a believer. There are things that God and all his faithful servants desire in the life of every believer. God wants every believer to develop a consistent walk with God. He wants every believer to demonstrate a lifetime of trust and obey. It is the will of God that all his children demonstrate diligence in Christ and mimic the faith of the faithful. 
That's where we ended off last time we were together. In verse 12, it says that ye be not slothful. That was the same word as dull, chapter 5, verse 13, that introduced this section. Don't be a dull Christian. Don't be a deadheaded Christian. Don't be a slothful Christian. Nope. Be a follower. Remember last week, three words for follower in the New Testament? One means to be a partner. That's not this word. One means to be a pursuer. Like a, like a linebacker goes after a halfback. That's not this word, followers. And this word, from the Greek word mimetes, is brought into English as our word mimic. It says that ye be not slothful, but mimics of them who through faith and endurance inherit the promises. And then, verse 13, we start talking about Abraham. In other words, Abraham is a guy that you and I can learn a lot from. Because he's a man of faith, and he's a man of faithfulness. He's not a man always of strong faith, and he certainly is not a man of perfect faithfulness. But in the whole, he's a man of faith, and he is a man of faithfulness, and so his testimony is brought to bear as to how you and I should understand the Christian life works. Most of God's people in this generation have left off in their understanding how exactly the Christian life here and now does work. It works in part because we mimic the faith of the faithful. And as I said last week, some of those faithful ones are talked about in the Bible. Some of those faithful ones are right here sitting in the pew with you this morning. There are people in this church whose lives ring true for God, of which you ought to model yourself. And I might also say, to be fair, there's also some people you shouldn't follow in a million years. By no means should you be an indiscriminate picker when it comes to who you follow in this church or in any church. Now, Abraham was a pagan to whom God made promise. Abraham simply believed God. He didn't believe in God. He believed God as to what God had promised him. The thing that made Abraham's faith good was the one in whom it was placed. Ultimately, the section, while pointing to Abraham as a model, doesn't talk much about Abraham. It talks, mentions Abraham, and then the verses talk about God. In other words, we are introduced to a man of faith and faithfulness, and the only reason that we can talk about Abraham as a man of faith and faithfulness is because of what God did, not because of what Abraham did. So Abraham's not our hero. God is our hero. That's the way the text is set up. The section reminds us of the verity and the integrity of God. It reminds us of the value of trusting someone is only as good as the faithfulness of that one. We, this morning, above all other things, declare at worship God's faithfulness. God is faithful. I can say God has been faithful to me 
if you're thinking right, you can say, God has been faithful to you. Now listen carefully. Enduring faith, enduring faith is expected in the life of every believer because of the character of God who made us promises. God promised Abraham some very specific things. Abraham believed what God said. He endured in believing what God had said to him. And as a result, he inherited and obtained the promise. I call your attention to the last phrase of verse 12. Inherit the promises. And I call your attention to the last phrase of verse 15. Obtained the promise. Verse 12 references the desire for every believer. Verse 15 references the case of Abraham. Verse 12 says, promises. Verse 15 illustrates by way of the promise made to Abraham. Verse 12 is talking about the good news delivered to the saints in the New Testament era. And verse 15 is talking about the good news delivered to Abraham. This contrast between verse 12 and 15 introduces us to the relationship between God's promises and the believer's perseverance. What's this sermon about? It's about God's promise and your perseverance. Promise and perseverance go together. They are ultimately linked exactly as they were in the life of the Old Testament patriarch, Abraham. Illustration, Abraham. We begin to look with the, at the passage of Scripture at verse 13 by noting the pattern of promise revealed in God's dealings with Abraham. Verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham, because God couldn't say, I swear on, uh, on the Bible, I swear uh, on the name of God, I swear uh, uh, before angels, I swear, because God couldn't swear by a greater one because he's the greatest. Then God swore by himself. He said, I'm telling you in my own blessed name that what I'm going to do. And so God made Abraham promise, and that pattern of promise as revealed in Abraham is going to be very helpful to us in living the Christian life of Christ as given to us by God. Of course, the promise that God made to Abraham, as we've recently reviewed, is uh, found, and we're not turning there for the sake of time, but it's found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The promise involved a special land. You and I know it as the land of promise, or Israel. And the promise that God made to Abraham had to do with a special lad. It's a land-led promise. It's a land-led promise. It's a land-led promise. As most of you know, the lad of Abraham's promise was Isaac, and the lad of Isaac's promise was Jacob, and the lad of Jacob's promise was 
Judah, not Joseph. I would have picked Joseph. God chose Judah. So that we talk about the seed of Abraham and the seed of Judah when identifying Messiah. And we talk about the son of David when identifying Messiah. Seed son are the two lines of messianic prophecy coming out of the Old Testament. The lad, lad of Abraham's promise was originally Isaac. And of course, there was a considerable period of time between when God made Abraham the promise, Genesis chapter 12, and when that promise of God was confirmed in the life of Abraham as recorded in Genesis 22. So the promise was made in chapter 12 of Genesis. The promise was confirmed in chapter 22 of Genesis. And between chapter 12 and chapter 22 would be, let me see here, uh, 10 chapters. And the 10 chapters would involve an extended period of time before Abraham, who was made the promise of God, confirmed the promise of God by means of the event of Genesis chapter 22. Based upon the promise of Abraham, Genesis 12, Abraham began to exercise his faith or trust in God as to what God had promised him. Some of Abraham's actions as recorded after Genesis 12 were faithless. Some of uh, Abraham's uh, 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 responses to God were faithful. But even though there are moments and occasions of faithlessness in Abraham, he still moved on. He still pressed on. He ordered his life around what God had said to him. Then came, at God's appointment, Abraham's great test of faith. And most of you know the story of Genesis chapter 22. The test of faith was passed along uh, uh, to Abraham in the will of God by sovereign appointment. And we could say that Abraham passed that test with flying colors. Abraham obediently began to slay his promised son as a sacrifice because God told him to. Remember? Genesis chapter 22. Now, we have uh, good commentary on this, uh, only a couple of pages from where we're at in our scripture. So just flip over just quickly and look ahead to where we'll be in months ahead. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, tells us about that occasion in Genesis 22. Watch. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, tested, tested by God. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. God said, your seed is going to be called in Isaac. Abraham said, I believe that. 
And then, after Abraham walked walk with God, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully, but as Abraham continued to walk with God, and walk with God, and walk with God, then in a sovereign moment of divine selection, God appointed a test. And when Abraham was tested, God said, I want you to take out your only begotten son, the very son of promise, the very son of the seed that I promised you. And Abraham, believing God, not just believing in God, but believing God, Abraham proceeded, as you well know, until God stopped him. Now, what in the world was Abraham thinking? What in the world was Abraham thinking? What would Abraham have done if he was a resident in western Michigan? Well, I'll tell you what he would have done if he was in western Michigan. He would say, well, God surely doesn't want me to kill my son. Why, I know that all the theology books tell me that God would certainly not want me to do that. And so uh, I, would, I would certainly be excused from doing such a horrendous thing even though I got a direct word from God, because certainly I would not have to do that. God, would, I must, God must be having a bad day, and he must be speaking uh, with lacking clarity to me. Uh, I, 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 I'm sure there, there's a way to get around that. I'll go to another church and see what they say. That would be Western Michigan. But what did Abraham do? Verse 19. Abraham was thinking, Abraham was accounting, Abraham was giving his mind along this line of thought that God was able to raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. What was Abraham thinking? Abraham was thinking this. God made me a promise, and that promise is fulfilled in that boy. And now God is saying to me, take that boy's life, and so I'm going to proceed. And uh, if I take the boy's life, I'm telling you, God said, it's going to be a promise in the boy. It's going to be a promise in the boy. I don't know how it's going to work out, but if God has the power. He'll raise Isaac from the dead. That's what Abraham was thinking. That's what Abraham was thinking. Wow. That's what Abraham was thinking. That's faith. And I wouldn't even call that great faith, but certainly is it's often a, a greater display of faith than what I naturally have flowing through my veins. But nonetheless, Abraham's faith of no great glory, but faith in what God had said as promised, had such an impact upon Abraham's heart and mind that when he confronted the test, he passed with flying colors. He passed with flying colors. He absolutely nailed it. And on that basis, he is held up before us as a model of not just faith, but when it counted, faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness. Now, the story of Abraham as to his faithfulness in the moment of the test, Genesis 22, is why Back in Hebrews chapter 6, in verse 14, you find the word, surely. For when God made promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless thee. Where's that from? Genesis 22. 
It is Abraham's tested faith that causes the Almighty to say, yep, surely, 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 certainly, 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 blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Listen, Abraham's faithfulness didn't win the day. God's promise secured the day. But Abraham's faith in God's promise was clearly followed by Abraham's faithfulness. Abraham was absolutely confident in God's integrity at the point in which he was tested. He passed the test, not because he had great confidence in himself, not because he said, oh, after these years, my faith is strong. Have you ever met a believer who has declared in the company of the saints that they have strong faith? If you ever hear one, be sure of this, they're soon to fall. The most godly people I've ever known in my lifetime have never boasted of the strength of their own faith. But they sure have boasted in the greatness of God. You and I are not secure because we lived a whole week without falling on our nose. You and I are secure because God has made us promise in Christ Jesus. And we're going to be okay. But we need to walk with him and talk with him and add to our faith faithfulness. We must be like Abraham, faithful. And so because Abraham, in the moment of test, was faithful, God said, surely I will bless thee. In other words, it brought God great pleasure when Abraham persevered in his faith. And so verse 15 of our text says, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained God's promise. The second thing I want you to connect to that is the Old Testament pattern of perseverance, which is revealed in Abraham's choices and actions. In the middle of verse 15, which we kind of read over quick, you have this statement. So after he had patiently endured, linked inseparably to the truth of God's promise was Abraham's faithfulness. It was only after Abraham patiently endured that he obtained. His perseverance was linked to the fulfillment of promise. It's interesting because the word patiently endured, or those words in English, patiently endured, one word in the Greek, Macrothumeo is the word. 
uh, but uh, that word patient in both verse 12, it's also found in verse 15, uh, means to bear long or to put up for, with a thing for a long period of time. Uh, and it often talks about the idea of running bravely uh, and pressing on bravely in the face of adversity or in the face of difficult circumstance. And in this case, we're being told that Abraham did bravely press on in the day of sovereign difficulty as recorded in Genesis chapter 22. And as a result of that, he obtained the promise. The word obtained literally means to hit upon a thing, to hit upon a thing, to hit upon a thing. Abraham's perseverance was a prerequisite to his hitting upon the promise. The promise was real and sure because of God's character. But listen, don't miss this. Abraham wouldn't enjoy the fullness of God's promise in his own lifetime without his cooperation. Herein you see how promise, the promise of God, and the perseverance of saints come together in one. Think about wisdom. God has promised you, he's promised me, wisdom. And yet, the wisdom that is promises of God is only hit upon when we pray for it. God does not say, I'm giving you wisdom from above, and it flows automatically to you without your thought, without your mind, without your life being engaged in needing it or responding to it. No, God says, here's wisdom. But God's word says, you have to ask for it. In that case, perseverance in prayer would hit upon the promise of God for wisdom. Promise of God, perseverance in saints. That's the way it works. It's the only way it works. And yet we in particular are so hyper that we tell the truth of salvation, right, which is saved by grace through faith alone, that sometimes we're weak as a group of Christians in helping people to understand that faith is never alone. That faith always has accompaniments. That faith always has go-withs. And just like when we grabbed the sandwiches for the beach this week and Sherry said, did you get the watermelon? Yep, because that went with the sandwiches we were going to eat at the beach. If you are God's child, if you put your faith in Christ, there are go-withs. There are things to accompany your salvation in the will of God. And there's no doubt about what this will of God is. And you will never hit upon a thing until you cooperate with God. None of God's blessings flow through a dark, cold, uncooperative heart. Promise and perseverance go together. A little more about that, the New Testament application of promises and perseverance. You and I are children by, of Abraham by faith. In other words, we are forever linked to Abraham because we possess 
what he possessed, faith. He didn't just believe in God. We don't just believe in Jesus. Uh, we believe Jesus. But it doesn't end there. Like Abraham, we must demonstrate our faith in perseverance if we are to fully realize all that God has promised us. If you can say with integrity, I have faith in Jesus Christ, then you must bravely press on in order to inherit the promises made to you in Christ. It was Puritan John Owens who noticed in Ephesians that every possible spiritual gift that a believer could have is already given to him in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, every single spiritual gift has been received. But then John Owens asked the question, if I received it, why don't I do better with it? If I've received it, why don't I do better with it? And eventually, John Owens uh, fell upon the aspect of the truth of Peter. And uh, it really helped John Owens. And I'm thinking this morning that maybe the truth of John Owens, as uh, Peter gave it, might be helpful to us. So let's quickly just look. we got just a minute. Let's look, quick look, quickly look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3. According as his, God's divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Wow! What a great thing God has done in my life and yours. Wow! God did it. God's done it. He's completed it. Christ is it. Glory to the Lamb of God. So if I've been given all the promises of God and... I'm a partaker within the divine triunity, Father, Son, Spirit, and me. Partaker of the divine triunity because of God's promises. I have a voice in the throne room of God. Wow! So if I got it all, 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 why does so much of life seem dull? Troubled, difficult. Why? The Bible tells me I am rich in Christ, but sometimes I don't feel like a rich man. How does Peter deal with this? Well, interestingly, after telling us, verse 3, that we have everything, everything, all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue, it's all on God's promise, it's all on God's promise, it's all on God's provision, it's all on God, it's all on God, it's all on God, it's all on God, it's all on God. Peter then says, verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence 
add to your faith. And then he lists seven things. Believe me when I tell you that this is a mental dilemma for every preacher of the gospel of Christ. Saved by grace of God through faith alone. Yep. No merit of my own. Yep. Nothing I can do. Not of works on my behalf or yours, lest we should boast. Yep. 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 Got it. Yet, we're not saved. We are also, in addition to being saved, appointed unto good works. And those good works do not happen apart from our cooperation. And so the promise of God, saved by grace through faith, is brought together with diligence. You have everything you need for life and godliness, says Peter. And as a result of that, please be faithful. Don't get the idea that you're just going to skate your way towards heaven because you've already received everything that God has gloriously given to you. But understand, this side of heaven, this side of glory, you and I, Share testimony with all the biblical saints of the Old Testament and all the biblical saints of the New Testament and all the biblical saints since the Bible has been complete until this very day. And that is people that are truly those people of faith in Jesus Christ understand God's demand for faith. God wants us all to be faithful. So if you know when my work will be done, my work will be done when all people are in this place saved and faithful. And until then, I got a lot of preaching to do. Got a lot of teaching to do. Got a lot of living to do. But it is the will of God that each and every one of us be faithful. Faith and faithful, faith and faithful, faith and faithful. We say to the unsaved, trust in the Lord. Have faith in Jesus Christ. And we say to saints, please, for the sake of God, be faithful. Just be faithful. And if you fall down, get back up. We all know that none of us are going to be perfect in our walk with the Lord. You fell down. So did I. Get up. So did I. Walk on. Carry on. Walk on. Carry on. What's the imperative of Hebrews chapter 6? Let us go on to perfection. Let there be no doubt that here again we see the plain truth of God's desire for faith and faithfulness. Abraham is commended for his faith, and in this passage of Scripture, Abraham is commended for his faithfulness. 
during his living days, he bravely pressed on. And during our living days, you and I are to bravely trust and press on. It really is the expanded application of the verses that we know so well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Father, this morning help us to be a responsive people to this message, this very clear message in the scripture that you certainly want us to be people of faith. It strikes my ear that so many times, even in the realm of politics these days, we are told that people are people of faith. And yet that's not a testimony in of itself good enough to be raised. Because you have not just called us to be people of faith. You have called us to be people of faithfulness. Oh, for politicians who would be people of faith and faithfulness to you. Oh, for doctors and nurses who would be faithful to you. Oh, for leadership at school and work that would be faithful to you. And yet, Lord, even as we think such things and pray such things, we know that we're living in a sinful world that cares not about you, but we do. And if there is any group of people on the face of the earth that can rightly hear the message from above concerning faith and faithful, oh Lord, humbly, that would be us. So we ask for help. As you know, we need it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.